Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Teaching Kindness, the Bullies Be Gone podcast, with yours truly, Nate Webb, the founder of Bullies Be Gone. Here on BBG, I go into all things kindness, bringing in guests and experts from all wakes of life. And we are all here for one reason and one reason only, to help you and your kids get over bullies, get off social media, and love your lives. So come on in and learn how to live in a world where kindness is king. I'm your host, Nate Webb. Let's get to it. What's up, everybody, and welcome back. It is great to be at BBG. We all got weird, quirky things about us, and those things make us different. And oftentimes, we are ashamed of those things. We're scared of those things. But little do we know, that's our superpower, y'all. And today, I'm bringing on an individual who's really turned his differences into superpowers, and he's found immense success doing so. So everybody re- meet Ryan Boswell. Um, Ryan Boswell is the president of Cold Plunge Studios based in Indianapolis. And his background in marketing and social media has led him to work with over 100 brands on marketing and growth strategies. In addition to his work with startups, Ryan is a content creator on TikTok (laughs) at Ryan Broswell. It's Ryan Broswell. Um, Brand strategist, avid golfer, sports collector, husband and dad to a baby girl and two golden retriever pups. Um, He's a doggy daddy. Ryan grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and his whole life he balanced ADHD, anxiety and OCD. So today he's on a mission to help others learn how to be productive, organized and enjoy life more fully. So welcome to the show, man. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. It's good to be here. This is really exciting. Glad we could put this together. Me too, dude. I low-key was surprised when you actually responded. I was like, oh, this, this is happening. Psych. I, I was so excited, man. Um, so where are you coming? Are you are you in Indianapolis right now? I am. Yep. I uh I've been here for a week now. So all set up and and finally feel like I'm unpacked. The house is no longer in boxes, but yeah, come, call, calling in from Indianapolis right now. That is crazy. So you just barely moved. Yep. Yeah. We uh, <laughs> packed up the moving truck, drove out. I think it was the 29th of August. A uh, good buddy of mine, Kasdan and I, he was a trooper and drove across the country with me, two dogs in tow, U-Haul. It was wild. Uh, I got here in 48 hours and I uh, started unpacking and my wife just got here last week as well. So finally oh, all set up and everything feels really good. Judging by all the Utah garb behind you, I'm guessing you're coming here from Utah. Yep. Yeah. I just moved from Utah. I got a few little, uh, little nods to home right here. A couple hats from my buddy of mine. That's a designer in, in Salt Lake and yeah, just lo- lots of fun stuff. So miss Utah already missing the mountains, but it's very flat and it's a very different kind of pretty here in Indianapolis. Yeah. Yeah. I did summer sales in Oklahoma for like five years. Um, so that Midwest flat area in this it's, it is gorgeous over there, but it is very, very different. That is for sure. Yeah. So are you yep, going to be, are you going to be a, a, an adopted Colts fan now? Um, you know, as funny as it is. So growing up in Chicago, um, that's true. Bears. Let's see. I, th- I think it was 2000. Well, anyone that tells you a Bears fan is lying. Cause they're, I don't, I'm convinced there's not actually any Bears fans out there. Um, <laughs> so if you're a Bears fan, feel free to come at me, but it's hard to be a Bears fan. Um, but you know, it was, it was funny. And like, let's see, it would have been like 2006. Was it 08? I think that they played in the championship, um, uh, for the Super Bowl. And I remember like getting white t-shirts and painting, with like, or drawing with Sharpie on my, on my shirt when the bears were playing the Colts in the Super Bowl, And I remember drawing the number 18 and Colts on my shirt. And I got oh. made fun of at school. Cause I was just like, I loved the Colts. So you've been a Colts fan forever. 
I know I've been a Colts fan forever, um, but now I finally have like a, I should call it like an excuse, right? But uh, hey, yeah, have an excuse. You're accepted to be a Colts wearing fan. Colts stuff now. There we go. There we go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not. I'm not going to get ostracized or kicked out for being a Colts fan now. <laughs> Gosh, that's so great. So, tell us your story, man. How was life growing up? Because, like, I assume like most entrepreneurs, you probably had that business bug at a young age. I uh, I did. You know, I I've. As funny as it is, I, I haven't told this story in a little bit, uh, but I feel like in the last week, I've told it a few more times as I'm starting to tell a little bit more of my entrepreneur background um, related to content creation. But I I first felt like the bug for being an entrepreneur, that business bug when I was, let's say it would have been like seventh or eighth grade. I remember going to a cross country race. They, had a, they were selling Jolly Ranchers at the snack table bought out the whole bag for five cents and then went to school the next week and sold them all for 30 cents at school. Ooh, I was making 25 cents. Man. I know I was, I was flipping them and I, I just had this bug. Um, but I would say that like my entrepreneur journey really took off when I was about 13, 14. Um, I really was wanted the duct tape wallets. Uh, that was the year after. Yeah. So, okay. Going to, yeah, wallets, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Duct tape wallets were really good. Uh, I had a, a 1.0, a 2.0, all the way up to a 5.0 wallet where I had like, really? I was working with clear scotch tape where I could make like an ID flipper, uh, just a whole bunch of things. Um, but I felt like my entrepreneur journey really took off when I was about 13. That's when I like really noticed that I, that I was like onto something. Um, mm-hmm. and I really wanted a longboard. All of my friends were longboarding. Oh. It was a big thing where I was growing up. Yeah. And so, I was like, you know, I've got a, I've got a camera. Maybe I can make content for brands and and I can do a trade. So I, you know, I, I, you know, you shoot your shot. I combed through nine pages of Google of Google search results and cold emailed three hundred longboard companies. Holy and I was shit. like, hey, I'll make you a YouTube video if you send me a longboard. How a couple many weeks later, how to, um, at, I think at my peak, I was up to like six or seven sponsors. Um, but I was just making YouTube videos. I was making content. I uh, had a few different board sponsors, apparel sponsors, all from pure trade on content creation. And it all um, started, so started with, with cold emails? It all started with cold emails. I I whipped up this email. And at first I was like, you know, I could, I'm going to write all these individualized emails. And then I was like, maybe if I put it into kind of like a template and changed a few things, then I could start sending it out to more brands and it would go a little bit quicker for me. So then I started learning about templates and then I started developing, the, developing this whole protocol. And this was all within like three hours on an afternoon. I was just combing through eight pages of Google search results. And then I was swapping out words, swapping out company names. And again, at this point, I had never made a YouTube video before. So right. I was like, I'll, I'll learn as I go. And that's kind of been a theme for me is I may not be an expert, 100% an expert, but I will hop in the driver's seat. But I'm going to be. I will go for it. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll go for it. So that, that's been kind of my journey as, uh, you know, uh, that social media journey started with content creation, evolved into working with more brands eventually taking the the protocols and the, uh, you know, the curriculums that I created and started working with other brands on how to implement it. Uh, and then now it's uh, a full-fledged business into combining that entrepreneurship with content, TikTok uh, being where I'm at now with Cold Plunge Studios. So it's been a fun ride kind of over the last 10 years. Holy smokes. And how old are you? Uh, just turned 25. He's 25 guys, 25. So at what point did you get diagnosed with ADHD, OCD, anxiety, the holy trinity of mental health disorders? Like, <laughs> at what, like, at what point? I guess were you a feeling those things, and then at what point were you actually diagnosed with those things? Yeah. Um, in retrospect, I always had it, and okay. my mom tried to tell me multiple times as I was growing up that I had it, and I just refused to listen. Um, right. 
But I, you know, it's, I feel like it, that journey with mental health is something that people have to come to a conclusion with themselves that they're like ready to handle the yeah. diagnosis, right. And be able to yeah. understand it and start working on it. Yeah. Um, but I officially got diagnosed. It was August of 2021. So just past just two, two years, years since ago. I got that official diagnosis. Wow. Um, but yeah, I got, got that diagnosis when I was 23. Holy smoke. So how did you navigate having all of that baggage? I mean, that's, those are, those are legit. I mean, I'm a high school counselor. And so I interact with 350, 400 teenagers daily. Many of them aren't diagnosed yet. Many of them are, but I know it can be paralyzing. Um, how did you navigate life with all that and like knowing, but not knowing, you know? Yeah, it was a, uh, it was a combination of two things. One, dealing with what had happened in the past and learning how to change what was about to happen in the future. So for me, I, I realized there was a lot that had happened in the past for me and I needed to unpack it. I needed to deal with it. I needed to learn about it and learn from it. And then I also needed to be able to change the behaviors and the thought patterns that I had developed and be able to really turn those so that in the future, they weren't as damaging to my mental health. So learning a lot about interactions with people, like I used to get, I, I never knew why, but I would go into relationships or Anytime we'd have friends over that we'd get together with people, it would be like, I, I'd leave that interaction and feel like, I just feel like garbage. I'd feel like trash. I was like, I would overanalyze every single piece of ah, any conversation yeah. that we had had for six hours, right? And I'm just running through everything in my head. And by the end of it, I was just like, oh, I feel awful. And so I started unpacking and realizing, okay, a lot of that is anxiety. A lot of that is relational OCD and learning to start changing things about those interactions. Um, and then the other big thing that really helped was I actually took a deep dive into uh, an ancient philosophy called Stoicism. Um, and the whole concept of Stoicism is you can, the only thing that you can control in any situation or any interaction is your thoughts, your words, and your reactions. You can't control other people's thoughts, can't control other people's actions. You can only control how you respond to people. And so I really started to change my paradigm of how I looked at social interactions as I can't control anything that's coming out of anyone's thoughts, out of anyone's words. The only thing that I can change and the only thing that I can actually control is how I react or to how I proactively am engaging in this conversation, which, which helped quite a bit. Holy smokes. You know, that's something that takes people decades to figure out. You know, that to control what we can control. So many of us waste, you know, decades and decades, our entire teen years, all of high school life, focusing so much on the things that we cannot control, like the right. behaviors and the actions and the words of other people, especially pe people who are bullied, um, bully victims. They face that quite often where they, you know, they, can, they, they either focus on everything their bullies do or they get past their bullies and stop focusing on crap they can't control. And so I feel like that puts you miles ahead of everybody once you figure that out. And then, I mean, obviously it wasn't just smooth sailing from there, but at what point, I guess, were you, were you able to see past the stigma to like go in and humble up and get a diagnosis? Cause I, I mean, I've talked to so many people who are like, like, you know, me, my, me and my family included where they're like, no, 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 no. We got this. We don't need to go see a professional. We can just be happier. It's fine. Make a choice. Happiness is a choice. La di da di da. <laughs> how did? How are you? I mean, you, you got the diagnosis two years ago. What happened that was it? You were able to be like, you know what? It is okay. I can go in get this diagnosis, and it's okay. Like, what was that tipping point? Yeah. 
Um, so my my mom uh, just finished up a, a master's in, I believe it was in social work, master's in social work from Boise State. Nice. Um, and I was having a conversation with her about, go Broncos. I was having a conversation with her about three years ago. And, it, you know, as funny as it is, like I, uh, I was in the grocery store and I saw one of those like arm cuffs for blood pressure. And I was like, yeah, you know what? Why not? Let's just see what my blood pressure's at. Not that I like really knew anything. (laughs) Well, and I like sit down and I put the arm pressure cup on and I'm like, what in the world? Why is my blood pressure like one, 155 over 95? I'm like, this doesn't seem right. So I like take my arm out, put my arm back in. I'm like, I'm going to do it again. And sure enough, it's like 150 over 95. I'm like, whoa, 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 this is way too high. I text my wife. I'm like, where's my blood pressure supposed to be at? She's like, you should probably be like, you know, like 115, 120 over 80. And I was just like, oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little bit higher. Something's definitely going on. So I'm talking to my, I'm talking to my mom after that. And, uh, you know, she goes, you're, you're healthy, you're active. Um, there's, you know, from stuff that I'm learning and from, from what I know, like there's a possibility that your high blood pressure could be related to, um, to depression. And, you know, for me, I was just like, huh, I hadn't really ever thought about that. And there were times again, like my mom knew the whole time. She's a trooper. Right. She was very patient with me. I remember her. I mean, I remember being like four or five and I had to go to like ang- anger management classes. Cause I just like could not control my emotions. So then like everything, you know, kind of blows over about 15. I remember my mom being like, Hey, you should try talking to a therapist again. It just didn't click for me. And then again, here I am 10 years later, at, you know, 23 ish, 22, 23. And my mom's like, I've got a really good referral for a therapist. Maybe just go talk to them and see what they say. So I'm having a conversation with him. And, you know, at the time he's like, yeah, I, you know, I, I can't really diagnose you with anything. It doesn't seem like right now you have depression or anxiety or ADHD. But the one thing that I would recommend is that you need to start going to the gym. I can, I can prescribe you a gym membership. Um, and so we're talking and then we keep going on. I go to the gym and then all of a sudden, like a month after I start going to the gym, this is the first time I had like really like gotten on an exercise regimen. I'd never stepped foot in a gym before that. And like a month later, my, uh, my blood pressure dropped and I was at like 120 over 80 magical, right? Like just a little Whoa, bit of exercise imagine that. all of a sudden was like fixing everything. And so this just got me on this kick of like personal optimization of trying to find not, not everything that was wrong, but everything that was within my control that I could change to make a 1% improvement on either my mind or my body, my physical or mental, emotional well-being. Um, and then as part of this, I, you know, as time went on, sure enough, I like started noticing more of these like depressive uh, and anxious symptoms. And I talked to my therapist and I continued going and having conversations. And he was just like, you know, I, I think we may be at a spot where, where it's time to look at getting like an official diagnosis for, for ADHD. So he said, I'm again, I'm just a, a therapist. I'm a counselor. I can't give you that official diagnosis, but I'd recommend that you make an appointment with your, uh, with your physician and go in for a consultation for an ADHD consultation. And so I go in and sure enough, right there on the spot, this is August of 2021 or August. Of, yeah. August of 2021. And I uh, get the diagnosis right then and there. It's like, you have ADHD, anxiety, depression, and OCD. And all of a sudden my whole oh. life just clicked. Oh, I was like, oh, there it is. That's ah, everything. Whoop, my whole life makes sense now, man. <laughs> Yeah. So I, you know, got the diagnosis and then all it just, it clicked for me. It was like, there's a lot going on. It's in my control and out of my control that I really need to start working on. So that's kind of my story with coming to the point where realizing where I had these mental health struggles and I needed to start working on them to improve them. Just because there is such a big stigma, especially around men's mental health. 
Um, and a lot of times that we have, I don't know, men feel ashamed to, you know, admit that they might need help or to even look into it, let they might have these things. And so it's really cool seeing, you know, established entrepreneurs like yourself find their place and find the the place where it no longer has that stigma, where it's actually like helpful to, to figure out, oh, this is something that's going on inside. And now I know what it is so I can know what to do to help to, to make it so these symptoms aren't, you know, super invasive and affecting my life in such a negative way. Um, and so like, do you still actively like go to therapy and stuff, even though you kind of like got your crap together now? Yep. That is a, that's one of the biggest things that I am a believer in. And, you know, even if you don't really feel like you like have something that you need to work through, I just think it's always helpful to have someone to talk to that's like trained and licensed and knows how to be able to talk to you. So ever since then, I've been going to therapy basically every other week uh, for the last two years. And it's something that I am like a strong believer in now that I'm, now that I'm out of Utah, uh, I will for business, I'll kind of be back in Utah probably once a month. And I've just talked to my therapist out there and I'm just like, Hey, let's just schedule our appointments for when I come back into town. So I've got an appointment scheduled for the 27th of September coming up, uh, when I'm back in town in Utah. And yeah. you know, I just, I think it's, I think it's important to just have someone that you can trust and that you can talk to consistently. Yeah. And just like a non-biased third party, you can just bounce ideas, bounce crap off of yeah. and like, I've heard a lot, a lot of business owners are like, yeah, my, my therapist should, I mean, if I should just sign them on as a part-time employee, because they've given me some of my best business ideas, you know, me spouting off ideas at them and them help me figure my crap out. Um, yeah. something that comes to mind talking about men's mental health. Um, I, you're, you're into the UFC a little bit, right? Um, yep. and do you remember when Patty Pimblett talked about men's mental health right after he got a big old win? Um, yeah. he, he had had a friend that passed away from suicide. Um, and he took, and this is a big deal guys, because after a UFC fighter wins a fight, you get a few minutes to say what you want to say. That's a lot of sponsorship tags. It's a lot of, you know, you know, give thanks to family, God, whatever it may be. And he took, he took that time to, to give a shout out to men's mental health. And that was a big deal for me watching because I'm like, yo, this is like, UFC is like the toughest of tough crowds. <laughs> like these, yeah. these boys are tough boys. And so it was, it was really cool seeing that. Um, so I guess at what, and so after all this, you were able to take something that was bad essentially, and then use it to your advantage and turn it into a superpower. Um, how do we do that? <laughs> how do, how do we go about taking something that we feel is something bad, like kids with ADHD, especially kids with ADHD think there's something wrong with them. And I'm like, guys, how can I help you see this is your superpower? Um, again, I, I like to think in, in pairs or in trios. And for me, it came down to three things. One, uh, I realized that there was no way that I was going to get through this diagnosis and like learning how to do this without other people that had also experienced that. So I, I shifted my, again, because I've kind of always been a content creator. I'm a very outgoing person, but I would feel socially drained after interactions. Mm. And I didn't know why. And it was because I would just, for the longest time, I would overanalyze all these situations or relationships. And so for me, it, it came to shifting my whole mindset as to how I approached life, which was uh, consume, uh, consume less, create more. That was my old mantra of like, I'm going to consume less content. I'm going to create more content. Um, and so the same thing went for ADHD, right? I'm going to consume less 
and I'm going to create more in my relationships. I shifted from that to curate, connect, create. And I started creating this like mantra about myself of like, I want to curate the really good people. I want to curate the best people, the best resources, the best literature. And then I want to connect the dots. And then with what I've gathered, I want to create something. Um, and so I, I, I now host a mastermind group in, in Utah with one of my uh, business partners, Sean Finnegan. Um, and this has become the, the whole concept of our group is curate, connect, create. Um, and so for me, when I got this diagnosis, what shifted for me was I, I focused not on creating right out the gate, but curating quite a bit more. Uh, and then from there, connecting the dots. And so what I, what I put a really heavy emphasis on was finding more people that had gone through what I had gone through. Mm-hmm. learning and connecting with them. And then after I had gone through and learned and gathered and curated, then I would go out and create something. And then I started noticing as I started documenting this whole journey of like living with ADHD, depression, anxiety on TikTok, I realized that there were hundreds of thousands of other people that were going through this exact same situation mm-hmm. that needed that same insight and needed that same community. And so it really, more than anything, getting that diagnosis of ADHD, anxiety, depression, and OCD shifted how I look at marketing, advertising, business building, relationship building, because I went so much, I, my old concept was so much of like, I'm going to create something and then find the people that want it to I'm going to build a community around something, gather them together, and then I'm going to create something based on what people want. Um, So it was just a a big shift in like the energy of how I approach things to rather than just creating something out the gate and then asking who wants it, it was much more of like, all right, let's get some people together and let's collaborate and let's, you know, curate all the best resources and people and ideas. And then let's go create something great together that we all know that is going to benefit us. So that's kind of how things shifted there. That's really cool. That is way cool. Um, and so then guide us through your professional career a little bit because how did you end up at Cold Punch Studios and like your career on TikTok? How did you end up there? Yeah, that is a that's a really funny question. Um, and first off, I'll I'll start by saying that five years ago, my my life and career goal was to be a college athletic director. Um, I was working in college sports at the time. I worked at UVU and and ran the social media in their athletics department, um, loved working in sports. And then, uh, and then this thing called COVID hit and, uh, I was a year and a half into my school career. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I haven't heard about it. Um, COVID hit and I was just like, there's no way that I can, uh, do this college thing online. I can barely do it in person. I don't know how I'm, how I'm ever going to do it remotely. Um, so I got an offer to join a startup, um, and I joined that startup. And then two months later, time came around for me to enroll in classes for the fall. And I was just like, I don't want to go back to school. Um, so I'm not the best example on this, but my path led me to actually dropping out of college. Um, and again, a year prior to that, I had wanted to be a college athletic director. Um, and my path was just so interesting as I was learning about making decisions for myself. I'd you know, made this decision to leave school. And then I joined and, you know, jumped from that one startup to then having another opportunity placed in front of me where I worked as the right hand of the mechanical engineer that built the ring doorbell, worked with him for a year, left that startup at the same time was starting to document more on TikTok, doing it quite a bit there. Uh, And then it led me to another organization in Utah. And then again, building in the background with all of these things, how I ended up at Cold Plunge Studios after being at these, you know, different startups and working with a few different companies was I met a guy that introduced me to Sean, who I mentioned earlier. And Sean owns a building in Orem, Utah, 
that hosts a few different companies that have offices there. And there's a company called Connected that has a field office in his building in Orem. So Sean, three weeks after I met him at the beginning of April, introduces me to Devin, the CEO of Connected. And I'm on a call with Devin at the beginning of May. He says, hey, I know this is really random. I heard you do ice baths on TikTok because I started doing ice baths as a remedy for ADHD mm -hmm. um, and started building a community around, around ice baths and how they helped me with ADHD. And so we're talking and I'm like, yeah, I, I do do ice baths on ADHD. And he's like, I'm opening up an ice bath studio at the end of the month. I was wondering if I could fly you out and I'll take you to the Indy 500 if you would trade me a TikTok video. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. hundred <laughs> percent. So fly smokes. out there, go out for, uh, I actually ended up going out two weekends in a row uh, for a business conference called VCon that Gary Vaynerchuk puts on. Yeah, um, friends. So yeah. I went out for VCon and VFriends. And then I went to the Indy 500 the next weekend. Uh, and then I got a call the next week and Devin was just like, we'd love to have you here. Um, think you fit really well. We'd love to, you know, expand talks a little bit and see if there's a way that we could get you involved. And, uh, here I am a few months later, uh, now running cold plunge studios and involved in the venture. So it's been a, a fun ride. Wow. That's incredible, man. And I, I love your experience on TikTok because it is one, it is one of creation and less one of consumerism. Um, yep. there's a lot of people, me included. Um, I run another podcast called the save the kids podcast. We talk about the dangers of social media for kids and that app in particular, but I think there's something to the, to be said about creating rather than consuming. A lot of people are, 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 you know, big naysayers on social media and, you know, saying, you know, never get, give smart kids, smartphones ever. And I'm just saying, I'm like, guys, you know, smartphones are never going to go away, but we can teach kids to be creators and not so much consumers. What are your thoughts there? I think that consumption is phenomenal when it's the right content. Okay. And what I mean by that is a, a year ago, if you had told me that my backdrop on my screen right now was going to be 200 books, I would have laughed your face off. <laughs> and then I just realized that like I, every night I was, you know, I was looking at my screen time on social media and I just realized that my screen time was so high. I was consuming so much content that I never, I could, I couldn't tell you the last thing that I looked at on Instagram, even though I spent probably 20 minutes scrolling. And so I just noticed that the quality of content that I was consuming was having an impact on my life. And so I started shifting and changing, you know, my, my elementary school, BB elementary in, in Naperville, Illinois. I remember every day when they would read the morning announcements, the thing that we would say at the end of the announcements was good, better, best, never let it rest till your good gets better and your better gets best. And, you know, like, I, I can't believe I can recite that. It's holy uh, smokes. Wow. I'm, That's I'm impressive, proud of myself. man. My, uh, my, uh, Shout out to elementary my, school over there. <laughs> there we go. My, yeah, my third grade principal, uh, would Mrs. Marker would be very proud of me right now. Um, but I, I just, I took like a, I took a personal reflection time and wanted to look at what was I consuming. And I realized that I wasn't walking away feeling energized. I wasn't walking away feeling exciting after, uh, excited after consuming social media. And so I shifted and I was like, what else can I consume? And then I found this newfound addiction for books. And I just realized that I could take so much more from what I was learning on social media. And I could get so much more out of it if I started consuming content that did energize me, that did inspire me, that did give me the, that extra kick to kick it into high gear and go do something. So for me, I, I think consumption is good when you're consuming something that's good. And when you're consuming something that doesn't actually help you, it's just damaging and it's hurting you and it's adding to that addiction of what social media really can do to you. But I do think that social media 
is and can be a really good tool when used properly. Yeah. And I, I agree. And I, I want to hear more of that. That's what I want to see more being pontificated out onto the internet. <laughs> I just use a Gary V word. There we go. Um, but like, I want to see more of that coming out and, and less of, you know, Oh, scary social media, but more of like, no, this is a tool that can be used very wisely. We just need to teach our kids how to use it wisely and use it wisely ourselves. Holy smokes. Like us adults are the worst at it. That's where the kids learn it anyway. So if we got well, our- and, and and to add to that, we're the worst at it because no one there's no playbook on how to use nope. social media. Nope. Literally right? like, like, here's that's a supercomputer. A- Good luck. Right. There's there's no curriculum out there that teaches you. Here's here's your safeguards on how to consume content on social media. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the Wild West. Like my my parents did a phenomenal job. They didn't know they they knew that social media wasn't going to go anywhere, but they had one rule for me. Well, they had two rules for me. One, I could only follow a hundred people on Instagram. That was my that was my rule as far as consumption went. I was only allowed to follow a certain amount of people and limit the amount of signals that I was ingesting. Then two, my rule for outbound communication was I wasn't allowed to post anything negative on social media. And for me, that helped that helped establish a lot of these like safe conversational and communication guidelines um, that I use on social media now. But like the, the interesting thing is there's no, there's no playbook on how to consume social media properly. And so something that I think is really interesting is like TikTok specifically, for example, there's a billion monthly active users and only one in 10 users will ever post a video to the platform. That means that on average, 90% of the billion monthly active users, 900 million users a month are consumers. Now think about how consistently are the people of the 10% actually posting content? How many people post more than one video? I would say it's probably closer to 5% of, of users on the platform are actual creators. And now 95%, 950 million people a month are pure consumers on the platform of TikTok. And how much of that is positive content? Probably not a whole lot. There's a lot, yeah. you know, and engagement is the new, it's, it's the new drug. People are just chasing that engagement and the dopamine hit of my video got 500 likes. My video got 250 comments. And for me, the thing that I love being about a content creator, sure, I've done 70, 80 million views on TikTok. The thing that I love is when I get a text from someone that says, hey, how did you decide to go to a therapist? Or how did you decide to uh, you know, go to your physician and get tested for ADHD? I got a text today. Someone that asked me, what was your experience in getting your ADHD diagnosis? Do you have a physician that you could refer me to? Like those are the interactions that I love. And my favorite one was, you know, I, I had a video that was doing really well. It was, I think it was at five, six million views. I was feeling really good about it. And then uh, all of a sudden, you know, I was, it's very easy to get caught up in that. You love the, the, the well-performing videos. And all of a sudden I get this message from a guy on, on Instagram. He's like, hey, I'm 15. Um, I think I have ADHD and depression, but I don't know how to talk to my parents about it. Do you have any suggestions on how I could talk to my parents about maybe going to get a diagnosis? And then I get to, you know, give him a few tips, talk to him about the kind of the, the ways that I went about it. And I get a message in two weeks and he says, hey, I just got back from my first meeting with a therapist. And I'm feeling the best that I've ever felt. Like how humbling can an experience that. like that be? And those that. are the positive interactions that people aren't talking about enough with social media. And that's yeah. the good that it can and that it does do. Yeah. People often just look past it because people will always remember when you do something wrong, uh, but they'll never forget when you do something right. Did I say that right? Wait. I think so. People you know, never forget when you do something wrong, but they but always, always forget remember. when you do something right. There yeah. we go. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Oh, 
those kind of messages are the ones you live for. Like, yeah, sure, it's great to see a high-performing video, but when you can see that you impacted a young person's life, you know, the, the concept of likes versus legacy, the impact that you're leaving on the world because of the, the culture and the community and the creations that you're putting into the world versus, you know, the art, arbitrary likes and online fakeness um, that we see on social media. And so I really appreciate people like you who are doing social media the right way, trying to do it positively, trying to put goodness out into the world. That's a big deal. And we, and I really appreciate you for that. Um, man, this has been such a good conversation. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, where can people see what you're up to? Shameless plug time. Let's hear it. Shameless plug. Uh, best places to connect on social media. Imagine that. Um, TikTok or Instagram at it's Ryan Boswell um, or Honestly, if there's anyone that's listening uh, and has a question for me, feel free to shoot me an email, uh, ryan at coldplungestudios.com. Yep. Or honestly, at this point, shoot me a text, 801-513-7742. <laughs> like I, when, it comes to, when it comes to the up and coming generation, I, I try to dedicate time every single week to be able to give back, to answer questions, to mentor and to talk to people because it, it wasn't that long ago that I was in the same boat trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And so if anyone has questions about what's that merge or what's that life connection, right. like, of like, I have this energy, I have like, I, I, I want to do something, but I don't know what I want to do. Send me an email or send me a text. Cause I want to chat and I want to be able to interact with you and I'm here to help however I can. And all that will be in the podcast description. So go check him out, yeah. email him, text him, whatever you want. He is available. Um, and, and we love him so much. Um, but yeah, there you go. And thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to bring this message to your community, you can email me or fill out the speaker form in the podcast description. Let's go save some kids. Always remember you were wonderful. You were worthy and you were worth it. Go home and give your kids an eight second hug and we'll see you on the next one.